What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and James McDonald. Tonight on Fast, we're charting the tech turnaround. One top technician lays out the three best-looking charts in tech following today's monster move. We'll bring you the trades. Plus, Tesla kicking into overdrive, the stock rallying nearly 20%. What we spotted in the options market that could send Tesla cruising even higher. And later, did Boeing just turn a major corner? We'll bring you the big headline that sends shares soaring today. We start off with a Tuesday tech turnaround. The Nasdaq soaring more than 3.5% today for its best day since November. Apple, Amazon, Facebook all rallying 3% or more. But do these monster moves reverse what's been going on in the markets for months now? Take a look at this chart. Apple versus Disney over the past six months. Disney is up more than 45%. Well, Apple's basically been stuck in the mud. Investors have been pouring money into the reopening trade, abandoning technology. So given what's been playing out in the market over the past few weeks, should you believe in today's bounce or do you stick with the trend? Guy. I think it's a bit of a respite. I don't believe the bounce. I mean, can it last a couple more days? Listen, I didn't think today would happen at all. I think a lot of it has to do with some of the comments out of David Tepper yesterday. I think he sort of calmed the fears of a lot of these bond vigilantes. Rates seem to stop on a dime after his comments. But I'm of the belief that rates are going to continue to grind higher, and that's going to put a bit of, bit of kibosh on some of these high-flying tech names. So although today was a good day, and maybe you'll see some follow-through again tomorrow, I don't think this is over by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and it's no coincidence that the 10-year yield went to 1.52% today, right, on the day that the markets have been rallying. So the market's really finding some strength from the 10-year yield abating in its, in its run. James, what do you make of the bounce here? Do you sell it? Well, yeah, well, you know, the bond yields declined. They had to after a massive February and early March surge. And, you know, there's a high likelihood that the 10-year consolidates in the 1.5% area, and the market likes rate stability. But like Guy said, you know, I think this is a respite, if not just a pause, uh, in the overall shift in sentiment. We've seen an incredible amount of bullish energy after the vaccine was announced. It had to come to an end. I think tech is just the forerunner of what's to come in the under indexes. I think this is just a pause before we go another leg lower. And, and to put into context, Tim, as, as you often do, if you take a look at the chart of Tesla, I mean, we That's saw this right monster move in today's session, but really we're back at levels from just like last week. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, put, putting Tesla in context is, is uh, a difficult thing uh, on many afternoons for me. I, I, I think you have a case here where if you look at Tesla and, you know, it, it traded through the S&P inclusion uh, announcement, it, it, it you know, didn't trade anywhere near the stock split announcement, but there's a couple big milestones for Tesla holders here. But but Tesla is is the leader of the pack of the high momentum tech names. So it's not surprising that it you know on a day when when semis are up five point seven percent. So you know why 
shouldn't Tesla be up with a beta of three times to that? I'm, I'm not surprised by that. I, you know, when we talk about yields, uh, the fact that yields are going higher has not been the issue. It's been the pace. So, uh, you know, to me, the velocity here, yields are settling in. Uh, there's no way we're going to continue to see this kind of a move higher because, in fact, uh, there is no fundamental rationale for it. I, it's not that the market can't take control from the Fed, which we've said uh, Fed controls short end, market controls long end. But, but, but ultimately, folks, how high can these rates go? Uh, and, and we get into a dynamic here where at some point when we are fearful that the Fed will pull back something from this punch bowl. I don't know what it's going to be. And they always overstay the party. Uh, but where do you think yields are going to go then? Um, so back to the tech trade. Look, um, you had a 10 percent correction in the Nasdaq. You got down to key support levels. You have some of the biggest companies and the most interesting and valuable companies in the world that got to levels where a lot of people said, oh, my goodness, I didn't think I was going to be able to buy this company here in the middle of this cycle. And that's what happens. So, um, yeah, I don't think you have to storm into Apple again tomorrow. Uh, but for everybody that said that mega cap tech was done, um, I, I, if you think yields are going to 3%, maybe you've got a, a great point. But I don't think they are. And in terms of the big cap tech stocks that a lot of people have been eyeing, I was going to go to Apple precisely where Tim went, Dan. So when you take a look at, at where it was bought today, it's a 4%. Yesterday we led with Apple because Apple led the market lower. Apple was sort of, you know, out there in terms of the declines in, in, big, in big cap tech without the super high multiples uh, that we see in Tesla, for instance. Is this a bounce, you believe? I mean, do we still differentiate this kind of technology from, you know, the Amazons or the, I don't want to even say Amazon, Pelotons, the Zooms of the world, et cetera? Yeah, I think you have to differentiate mega cap tech and, and some of these names that, you know, you listen, you've seen massive multiple expansion even in the large cap names, but maybe for some decent reasons, especially relative to where interest rates were. Some of the higher valuation names, they're just, listen, we've been talking about these names for a long time. A lot of these SaaS names or whether it be a Peloton, I mean, trading at 30, 40, 50 times sales after the sort of acceleration that they've seen in their own businesses during a really weird period of time over the last year, you have to say to yourself, they're coming against some, some very difficult compares at some point in 2021. And then with interest rates moving higher like this, you just have to readjust your models about what you're willing to pay for the sort of decelerating growth that these companies are going to see. When I go to Apple, when I go to Microsoft, even Amazon to some degree, and obviously Karen's um, Alphabet, it's a different ball of wax altogether. So the other day or yesterday at the low, Alphabet, or excuse me, Apple was down 20% from its January highs. And if you feel like there's going to be another leg of this bull market, that's exactly where you would start initiating a position or adding to a position that maybe you've never sold some from. So to me, that totally makes sense. Microsoft and uh, Alphabet have also shown some very good relative strength. If yields do settle in here right around where we are right now, uh, and I'll go to Tim on this because uh, I think that's sort of what you're getting at, um, that, that yields are settling into a range at this point. Is yeah. that enough for a next leg of the, of the bull market? Is that enough for the tech trade, even if it's just the mega cap techs, to keep on going? So yesterday on the show, I pointed out that I, I thought that actually the, the pullback and the, the relative underperformance of tech to the S&P was a little more extreme than the other pullbacks we've seen. And we've seen rotations, uh, the most extreme ones in September and, and then in October, ones where you essentially had uh, almost a bear market take place. You had the Nasdaq pullback almost 20 percent. So again, we had that pullback here. I, I think, yes, you slow the pace of yield rising and you settle into a place where we're up, uh, we're up a bit. I mean, look, why shouldn't the 10-year the drift 
uh, you know, up to 175, 180. Guess where we were at the start of February of 2020? We were at 180 uh, on the 10-year. Remember when we said bond yields were starting to actually uh, creep lower even as we got into the new year and we didn't know why? And it really, it was, it was the signal of the bond market telling you what was going on in Asia. Um, I, I, I think we ultimately are supposed to be here. We have stimulus coming. We have uh, industrials and transports at all-time highs. What is that telling you uh, about the cyclicality of the economy? But, but why Apple and Google and Amazon right there are three companies that I think are going to do very well, uh, even in this cycle. And with Apple and Google, uh, you have a very strong valuation, I think, argument relative to themselves. And with Amazon, you have a company that's been consolidating for eight or nine months. Uh, and, and I think I want to own Amazon here. So if yields stay, Guy, at around one and a half percent, is that Goldilocks for big cap tech to go higher and the cyclical trade to go higher? I mean, you know, you say that I can I can get inside your head and you're smiling Why? inside. What, knowing what, when what's you say inside Goldilocks, of my head right you now? You make me wince because, oh. you know, you know how it's, I'd like that, to know what is what are the, what do the kids say <laughs> that that um, I get triggered by that word? There's certain things that. You know, happy hump day, TGIF, how was your turkey day, Goldilocks, gobble, gobble. Tina, all those mm-hmm. things are triggering to me, gobble, gobble. One and a half percent, if we stabilize here, the market will find its footing. And given some of the sell-offs in these names, yeah, they're going to get a bounce. I just don't think that's going to happen. I'm more in the Doby Gray camp of drift away. And in this case, drift away is drifting higher. Yeah. <laughs> James, you're nodding. Doby Gray. <laughs> yeah, well, rising rates they reduce the present value of future profits. And so it's harder to justify the lofty valuations. You know, tech is going to lose steam. Uh, and I think that continues. There's a rotation of cyclicals that we've seen. You know, if rates creep higher uh, and the dollar gets stronger, obviously this trend is going to continue. Markets got to be cautious when uh, rates are close to this danger zone, getting up to the 175 to 2% level. You know, it was mentioned by Tim, you know, the stimulus bill is going to pass this week. It's going to provide a temporary market boost. Um, but the second half is going to be challenging is economic report, reopening story. It's already baked into the numbers. And so I think that, you know, the yield has been the excuse uh, for markets to slow down. But really, you know, it had to come. We couldn't go up forever. All right. Our next guest has been calling for this tech bounce, and he's got three washed out Nasdaq names that could be worth a second look. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verona, Strategus. Chris, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Well, I first want to put this move in some context, because let's remember from the September lows, NASDAQ 100 was still up 30% over the last eight or nine months. So you had a big move. We gave back half of it over the last several weeks. We started to find some support near that upward sloping 200-day over the last four or five days. So I brought along five charts. If you take a look uh, at the first one here, what I'm just showing you is the percent of stocks above their 50-day moving average in the NASDAQ 1. That got down all the way to about 15% by late Thursday, early Friday. That's good enough to get an oversold response when you're in an uptrend, when you've been a leadership group. So we had that condition late last week. We've responded to it. I think the key over coming weeks, frankly, is going to be whether or not these NASDAQ 100 type stocks can reclaim their leadership role that they had all last spring, all last summer. I think the jury is out on that. Maybe the odd dynamic uh, over the last several days, if you go to chart two, has been the weakness in tech preceding this really never hit the broader market. I mean, as recently as yesterday, you you were getting 30, 35 percent of the S&P making a new high every single day. So I think we should take some comfort in the fact that as tech corrected over the last called eight weeks, the rest of the market 
managed to hang in there, particularly some of the cyclical groups. So let's take a look at some of these washed out NASDAQ 100 type stocks that have done enough on the downside that seem to be responding to lower rates or maybe dollars start to roll back over here. What can we buy in this environment? I brought along three names. Uh, PayPal, uh, I think, is a good place to start. This is a very, very time long. They took this down 28% from high to low over the last several weeks. You're right back to that upward sloping 200-day moving average. You bounced off that 220 level. You might get another shot there, but it never violated its relative performance lows versus the S&P. I think good spot to be putting some PayPal on here. I'd say the same thing about Qualcomm. And let's remember, Qualcomm is a fantastic, fantastic long-term chart. It was just too far too fast. It got ahead of itself. They've taken this thing down nearly 30% over the last uh, several weeks. But you're back to major support. And if you're looking for a reason to buy this stock and you're price sensitive, you're back to that upward sloping 200. It held it over the last several days. This is where you start to put positions back on there. And then lastly, I would encourage you to look at Workday. Uh, another one of those examples where you broke this thing 20% uh, over the last several weeks, but right back to support. And what do all these stocks have in common, whether it's Qualcomm or PayPal or Workday? They've all corrected in uptrends back to upward sloping 200-day moving averages. That is where we like to put exposure back on. So those are some examples. I think NASDAQ does continue to rally here. Let's just see if they can reclaim their role as relative leaders. So, Chris, um, a few weeks back, maybe I forget when time just is, you know, so confusing these days. But you actually call for higher rates. Right. So you saw the 10 year yield going much higher. So so your interpretations of these charts is with the backdrop of the assumption, according to the charts, that the 10 year yield will, in fact, go higher beyond what we've seen so far. Yeah, I think ultimately we're still looking at a two-handle on 10-year yields at some point this year. They feel like they want to pause in the short term. I want to be mindful of that. But let's remember something. Go back to 2018 or 2019. Tech was the only game that was working, and bond yields were 250, bond yields were 3%. You got as high as 320 10-year yields in October of 18, and tech was working. So this idea that all of tech is dead with bond yields at 155 or even 180, I think is a little far-fetched given the history. All right. Chris, great to see you. Thank you. Nice seeing you. Chris Verone of Strategus. By the way, CNBC Pro screen for some other tech stocks that might have fallen too far too fast. You can see the full list at CNBC.com slash pro. Guy, which chart of Chris's do you like or not like? Qualcomm. I love Chris Verone's work, by the way. Excellent job. Qualcomm's the one now. With that said, I never thought we'd get below 145 or so. And here we traded down to 123, I think, uh, late last week or yesterday-ish. Um, but Qualcomm at 16 times earnings, it's not an expensive stock. So this doesn't fall into the category of should be impaired by higher rates. So I think Qualcomm on valuation, given the sell-off, is the one that I would sort of um, I would gravitate towards. Of course. Uh, Chris is, of course, you know, a technician who is in the Parthenon or Pantheon of he technicians is, out there, right? The so, yeah. So, yes. of course, you love his work. Dan Nathan, yeah. which chart do you like or not like? Um, I like the PayPal, um, you know, guy reference Qualcomm. Listen, I love that Qualcomm chart, too. And when you think about, I mean, Tim mentioned what semis did today, up 6%. Um, you know, Qualcomm down at 1.30% from its recent highs. I do think it's important to remember they did not put up a great quarter. The stock got sold before some of these other names in the group started getting sold off. That being said, PayPal had an amazing quarter, amazing, amazing guidance, but does not have the valuation support. But this is a, you know, 17% earnings grower, 20% 
2.2% sales growth expected for this year, trading about 50 times. Um, you know, no one gave a crap about pal- PayPal's uh, valuation any time in the last whoa, few years. Whoa, whoa. I'm not sure why they really care um, when, you know, interest rates go from 50 bips to, uh, you know, 150 bips. So to me, I think you probably have a great spot on the chart, as Chris identified in PayPal, if you're looking for a level to get in. Mel, do we have a potty mouth uh, rule on the show? I mean, uh, I, I, I feel crap, like... Crap is a four-letter word, but it triggered. is permissible. Uh, I believe it's permissible. It, it, We're not going right. to get a fine, in other words. But not- da- <laughs> all right, all right. Well, well anyway, so I, 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 I actually think uh, PayPal's valuation is, is, is in the potty. I mean, I, I think that if you look at the stocks that are getting punished, and you know, the argument that today was a bounce back for things that were deeply oversold... Um, but that that ultimately there there is cyclicality, there is some rotation, and that that's not going to end um, doesn't bode well for for PayPal. So um, Chris had some great charts. Uh, he's been right. He's been dead right on rates. He's been dead right on on kind of revaluation, but but reacceleration of the economic story. Uh, I do think Qualcomm and and remember again their royalty business has been resolved. Uh, they have this TE connectivity story. They have the the auto chip shortage story that's uh, working in their favor. So I do like that. Chart. All right. Coming up, Disney hitting a major milestone for its streaming service. So why did investors stream out of the stock today? We'll get some answers. Plus, shining bright gold and silver sparkling in today's rally. The traders break down how long this luster will last. Fast Money's back in two. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Disney missing out on today's rally, even after announcing a major milestone for its streaming service. Julia Borson's got the details. Hi, Julia. Well, Melissa, Disney announcing it's topped 100 million subscribers for Disney+. Plus. The company hitting that milestone just 16 months after the service launched. It added the final 5 million just in the past month. Now, Disney Plus's subscriber base is now half the size of Netflix. And this is particularly notable because at the service's launch, Disney forecast it would reach between 60 and 90 million subscribers by 2024. In December, it boosted that forecast to between 230 million and 260 million by 2024. The company also saying it plans to open Disneyland in Anaheim in late April. That's after the state of California just recently changed those guidelines. CEO Bob Chapek saying there's no definitive plan to open the cruise lines just yet, but that this fall, they may be able to have some limited cruise ship operations, depending on the virus and also how much of the public has been vaccinated. And when it comes to that dividend, which Disney suspended back in May, Chapek says he expects the company to reinstate it sometime in the future. No date yet, though, Melissa. And then Bob Iger, he reiterated he is leaving the company at the end of the year, as previously announced. 
All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston on Disney. Uh, James, where do you stand on Disney at this point? Well, it's one of those brands that you can never bet against. And uh, Disney's future looks extremely promising given the momentum they've had. You know, the share price up 25 percent in the last three months. Uh, investors had to take some profits. And as we've talked about, the key to success is Disney Plus because it only accounts for 7 percent of the revenue. Um, the average revenue per user has been trending down, uh, but they're expanding into other heavily populated areas with content. And so we do think that the March price raise uh, is going to reverse that trend. And going forward, you know, it's not going to be profitable in 2024. But if you look at those projections, you know, 300 million users, incredible total numbers um, as they get new releases of featured movies and you know, they're going to be charging 30 bucks. The theme reopenings, there's going to be a lot of integration there with artificial intelligence. And it's going to be um, a, a better experience for Disney streaming users than Netflix because Disney's got all the legacy build businesses it can build in there. A um, lot of strength and potential there. I'm cautious, though, because, you know, we're at such a toppy market. Uh, I think this is a great long term buy, but would be cautious here in the short term. We had talked about a Disney re-rating guy a while back, starting from a long time ago when it came to streaming and how it should maybe get some a little bit of the Netflix multiple because of the streaming business. We've seen the strength in the streaming business probably ahead of what most analysts had forecasted in terms of number of subs added. So at this point, with the pandemic sort of turning the corner and not getting that, that help of people staying at home, does that momentum continue? Is it enough? You know, if, if that part of the business sort of slows down a bit for the reopening side of things, the parks, the cruises, the hotels, et cetera, to actually pick up the slack. Yeah, the re-rating theme was something Tim was talking about when it was $118, $120 stock, and here we are at $200. So you've gotten that re-rating. You know, even if they earn $5 a share, which is probably a stretch, I mean, you're talking about a stock right now it's trading 40 times forward multiple. I mean, that's a big number for Disney, and I get it. You know, revaluation, re more of a Netflix model, I understand. But, you know, Tom Rogers points out all the time, this is not nearly as um, profitable, is not the right word, but lucrative, I guess, as a Netflix model. With that said, uh, you know, I, you, there are times to bet against Disney. I think at $200 a share, given all the good news that has been a tailwind, I think you got to start taking money off the table. I think you saw some of that today. I will say, though, I can't wait. I got to tell you, the line for the Hall of Presidents when they open that sucker is going to be mean, ridiculous. It's going to wrap around Frontierland and go all the way to Adventureland. Back to Space Mountain, around Epcot, and back. back. I mean, Mountain. like, that's yeah, going to yeah. be the one everybody yeah, wants is clamoring to get into the Hall of Presidents. So action-packed. Um, Tim, what Tom Rogers would say in terms of the bear case on Disney is the quality of the subs added, the most recent surge in subs, the, the, yeah. the subs from International, which are... Uh, you know, lower in terms of margins. Well, again, and we'd be remiss not to point out, uh, I think Guy refers to Tom Rogers as a stud. Um, I, I refer to him as a, a visionary media mind, and, and I listen to everything he says. Um, I, I think the, the story in terms of how the stocks will trade, though, and, and where uh, Netflix has been rewarded for going after growth and not being profitable. When Disney tells you today, when at one point they were 60 to 90 million subs by 24, and today they, they go out there and they say 230 to 260 million subs by 2024. Uh, I'm going to reward that growth. I, I also think that, uh, I, you know, I, Look, the, the reopening trade for Disney, uh, talk about all the places where it's going to overshoot. And I've mentioned this around Uber and Lyft and to some extent the airlines. Um, Disney's going to have it uh, from two or three different corners of their business. And I think they're going to be rewarded the stock that is. So, again, if it's a relative value trade, uh, it's Disney over Netflix. Netflix is still trading 90 times. So, yes, although Disney has re-rated, uh, I still like this story. And I like Disney's growth on streaming. Dan, Disney or Netflix? 
Uh, you know, at this point, I'd say Netflix. You know, they had that uh, killer quarter, killer guidance, stock gapped up, new all-time high, filled in the gap. I think we were all over that, talking about who the incremental buyer is. But here, at this point, uh, you know, you say to yourself, okay, there's a lot of things firing. Let's go back to Tom Rogers, the stud. Um, you know, he would say this is a great spot. And, you know, let's go back to also what James started this conversation about Disney is that, you know, Disney Plus is less than, what, 10% of their overall sales. And when you think about their opportunity to monetize those users, I am super bullish on their opportunity there and the cross-selling. But when you think about Netflix as a pure play, I just think near term, given the underperformance, Netflix makes sense right here. I think Disney will catch up in a lot of ways. And I also think it's a big mess right now. When you think about all of the unbundling that we're seeing from the cable bundle, and then you think of all of these DTC products and all of the content that's being grabbed back as these new products launch, we're going to see a massive rebundling at some point. Mm. Um, and maybe Netflix is able to take advantage of that in the coming years. All right. We've got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. It seemed the unlikeliest of calls six months ago. Energy would rally, and tech would flounder. Well, that's exactly what happened. And the man who made the prediction joins us to tell us what's next. Plus, Tesla shares revving up in a big way today. And options markets are looking for even bigger swings over the next month. We'll tell you just how high or low it could go when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The energy rally taking a bit of a pause today with the XLE ETF closing in the red, but still up nearly 40 percent so far this year. Take a look at this headline splashed across the Wall Street Journal today. It reads, sell Tesla by Exxon. Hmm, sounds kind of familiar, right, to all you loyal Fast Money fans. It should. Let's fire up the Fast Money time machine to a conversation we had with oil analyst Paul Sankey all the way back in August. The 2000s, as you know, is a huge for, for oils, and we've had an absolute disaster in the past decade, the next decade is going to be great for these stocks. As for shorting Apple and, and, and buying Exxon here, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll come back in five years and we'll see how we do. We didn't have to wait five years. Paul's pair trade is working out. Apple far up, uh, underperforming, excuse me, Exxon since that call. So we checked back in with Paul in January and he doubled down on his energy bet with a new pairs trade. But, um, you know, I'm the analyst that tagged, <laughs> I tagged EOG, the apple of oil, uh, because of its technology. And uh, so I was thinking, how can I, I get another trade like this going? So let's go long EOG, short Tesla. Let's do it. <laughs> another home run call for Paul, in fact, is a perfect pair trade. EOG is up 21 percent since that call. Tesla is down 20 percent since then. So let's bring in the man himself, Paul Sankey of Sankey Research. Paul, you got a hot hand. Uh, what do you want to declare next? <laughs> well, you remember that the, the second time around, I said, actually, I should have retired after the first call. So, you know, 
we uh, we got to keep going with this, I guess. It's, there's a lot of cross currents right now. As you know, we've had a very big move. And uh, when you see that Saudi attack on Sunday, uh, you know, we really got stretched. We really got stretched on the relative strength. And oil was, you know, hitting 70 on Brent. It was, it was ahead of itself, you know. So we're coming back a little bit here. And um, actually, if anything, I think the trade is refining. You know, what we like is the idea of getting long refining between here and, and driving season. Uh, the stocks are kind of expensive against terrible margins right now. But if anything works from February to, to May, it's, it's going to be something like PBF or, or Marathon Petroleum or Valero. You know, these are the names perhaps to look at with oil getting, having got so stretched. Now, having said that, the super cycle that we've talked about, the five-year trade is still on in oil. Hey, Paul, Paul it's Tim. On- so, yeah, congrats on. Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. All right. Um, so, Paul, yeah, I mean, stock picker uh, extraordinaire. Congratulations on that. And you just started to get into the macro. It's important for anyone to understand uh, supply demand dynamics. And at least for that, you know, that devastating five year run, it was really about way too much supply. The, the OPEC plus announcement of a week and a half ago has a lot to do with that rally that was faded by the disruption trade over the weekend. Give me your outlook on where we are on supply demand and, and no, OPEC cohesion. And can traders trade along with that? Right. So basically, we thought that the, the market believes that we're drawing about one to two million barrels a day uh, undersupplied in the market. So the market is tightening for oil. And we haven't come back from COVID yet. Obviously, we're in March, early March, mid-March is, is a seasonally weak time. Uh, so we're expecting, uh, like many others, obviously, to see the seasonal increase in demand. And you could see a million barrels a day every month now. Uh, into May, May, June and, and driving season. So that, that takes you from the 2 million I just mentioned, undersupplied, plus the 3 or 4 million of extra demand to a market that's 6 million up tight and probably about 5 to 6 million of OPEC spec capacity. So the market's looking very balanced here. What a lot of my clients and I wanted to see was actually OPEC increase and how the market would take the additional oil that was originally planned but we got this sort of juice, uh, you know, call from Saudi, where they they said they're going to extend the cuts, and so we didn't really test, you know, what's the underlying market here. So we, we weren't as thrilled as you would think by the Saudis not not increasing again, because we really want to try and get back to an ex OPEC market. You know, a lot of long only investors, for example, don't want to be involved in a market that's dependent on OPEC. We want a real proper supply demand balance. Having said all that, the balance looks like it will be very good into summer and beyond. And that's really the super cycle call, especially when you combine it with the whole Fed, you know, inflation rate. Hey, Paul, it's James here. My question is, um, you know, the energy sector is currently seeing a massively strong late cycle rally across the sector. And it's lifting all names and traders are talking about crude oil projections all the way up to $100. Isn't the reality, though? that oil prices are at $60 only because half the oil wells are open and operational. Wouldn't oil be much lower if the operational wells were at pre-COVID levels? Well, that's what I was really referring to. Uh, Oh, you mean on on the Texas crisis? On the Texas crisis, we think the supply has kind of come back. The real issue, which I've referred to, is actually the refining outages because the wells come back quickly, uh, but the refineries don't. But we're only talking about a matter of weeks. Nevertheless, at this time of year, you should be making summer grade gasoline and we've never seen a bigger deficit in terms of downtime at this time of year. So 
the hurricane season typically, as you know, comes after driving season. What's unusual about the Texas crisis, the, the snowstorm uh, freeze that we got, was that it's before driving season, and that's why we think there's a refining trade here. Um, but basically, the supply side is recovering much more quickly than, than the refining side. That, that's that dynamic. There's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts here. Paul, put your trader cap back on. And I know you said that these pairs trades were, were five year <laughs> five year trades, um, and, and right now you like the refining uh, part of the oil sector. But if you had your druthers, would you really take off? the tech part, the short, the tech part of the trades and just go long oil? Or is there another short that you would pair against a long oil at this point, seeing how much Apple and Tesla have declined? Well, if you know, if I was really long tech and these these very high multiple stocks, I would be terrified by, by not today's action. Obviously, that was a, a massive bounce back. But I would be terrified at the prospect of higher interest rates. And, you know, let's face it, they're very low. They're moving rapidly higher, but there's potentially a long way for these to go. So I would be. I think. I think it's terrifying to be, you know, along these ARKKs and stuff like that with such high multiples. Uh, given what we saw over the past couple of months, as interest rates began to move higher, uh, you know, it, it destroyed these stocks. And I don't see. You know, we, you could argue that we rally uh, interest rates lower, but I don't see why we would. I mean, we all know that they're going to print just a blizzard of really, frankly, unnecessary dollars. Uh, you know, obviously, we're worried about low-income people and, and people who are struggling. But mm-hmm. broadly speaking, U.S. wealth has never been higher. And you're adding another two trillion to this pile. That's the super cycle argument. That's the weak dollar argument that makes you bullish oil, bearish tech. All right. So you're sticking with it, basically. <laughs> Paul, good to see you. We'll check back in with you. We'll keep you honest on the trade, too. Thanks. It's always a Paul, pleasure. Thank you. thank you, research. A guy, he's speaking your language. It's amazing. I love Paul. Sen- I mean, I love him more now, obviously, because he is speaking my language. I happen to agree with him. I think, you know, listen, the energy names have obviously had a big run. We've talked about them for a while. I will say the levered names, look at a name like PSX, for example, today. The reversal today from 91 down to 87 is concerning in so much as, you know, we thought they'd stall sort of at the June highs, and that's what's happened. So although I do think there's room to the upside, I think you're going to see 5 day percent pullbacks on a lot of these names in the short term first. I think the tailwinds that have been there might abate a bit. I think the energy trade still works, but I think lower first, Mel. All right, coming up. Did Boeing just turn a major corner? What the company just did for the first time in more than a year that sent shares flying. And later, maybe Taco Tuesday, but we've got quesadillas on our minds. The delicious news out of Chipotle that's got investors licking their chops. We got the details and come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Boeing taking flight today, climbing more than 2.9%. The company announcing positive net orders for the first time in 14 months. Let's get the details with Bill. Bill. Melissa, we knew this day was coming. Let's take a look at a chart of Boeing shares going back to November of 2019. Why are we showing this to you? Because that's the last time that Boeing posted positive monthly orders, which is what it did in February with a net gain of 31 commercial airplanes. And really the turnaround, it all comes down to the 737 MAX. We knew this was coming. We've seen increased number of orders in recent months. We've seen the cancellations coming down. And then in February, what did we see? 39 orders and just 32 cancellations. And the deliveries, 
18737 maxes. So all of this sets up the question, okay, have they turned the corner? If you take a look at shares of Boeing, keep in mind that while they did have net positive sales of 31 commercial airplanes and the industry is feeling a little bit better about saying, hey, let's order more planes, this may be a lumpy couple of months here because the industry is still undecided in terms of what kind of commitments it wants to make over the next several years. But there's no doubt that there is greater interest in the 737 MAX as for whether or not Boeing can get back to the Dow overall. This chart says it all. I mean, look at how much they lost compared uh, to the Dow Jones Industrial Average if you go all the way back to November of 2019. But Make no mistake, Melissa, you're starting to see an increase in the backlog now at 4,041 commercial airplanes. You're seeing greater interest in the MAX and greater interest among airlines around the world to perhaps start to order a few more planes. And those would be the MAX that are going to be most in demand. Mm -hmm. Phil, thank you. Phil in Chicago for us. And this week is uh, sort of like an anniversary for Boeing because it was two years ago this week that the 737 MAX was grounded. So if you're in this as a turnaround trade, Tim, and I know you've been in and out, but if you've been in this, has Boeing sort of turned the corner on this? Is that turnaround, is the easiest part of the turnaround done in terms of the gains? Well, I think, think, look, the easiest gains are when it went from 80 to to 140 on nothing, um, and you can do the math on that. But but I I think sentiment-wise, remember, the the grounding of the max was a lot of noise, a lot of headlines, a lot of appropriate scrutiny on and regulatory uh, focus on Boeing. But but it's really been about the destruction of the airline industry. That's really where the stock fell off a cliff. It actually, you know, it traded from the highs where this was an extreme free cash flow story, where they're generating 25 bucks of cash a share. It re-rated. It did things that we actually thought, you know, it it, it should be doing and never thought Boeing would be in this place. But now, uh, again, the, the, the story here is about the recovery of the airline industry. It's less about the 737 MAX. But if you get into the, the, the granular order book, um, Boeing edge is really in the wide body planes in the 787s and it wasn't a great month for 787s so uh, i think that there's actually more good news to come uh, airbus tends to dominate uh, the narrow body planes and and so i i, I think that's going to continue to be the story but united southwest in the order book the fact of the matter is that airlines are, are starting to see we talked about this yesterday higher pricing they haven't thrown major capacity up there yet so that's ultimately going to be supportive to everything even if it's not buying more planes in the short run in the long run it sends a very good signal and and I think this is a great trade now, even after this move. Dan? Um, I think he covered it all. Um, no, listen, you know, we cancel everything in this culture that we live in right now. 346 people died of their negligence. Um, you couldn't pay me to go on one of those 737 maxes, to be very frank with you. And Tim makes a very good case of, you know, the destruction of the airline industry because of the pandemic. I, I don't think this plane has seen the proper reckoning as far as I'm concerned. So if Airbus does well with these smaller planes, fine, have at it. I'll book the Airbus smaller ones. Maybe I'll stay on the 777 if I'm going long distance or very long distance. But to me, um, you know, I, I just don't, I still don't have a taste for Boeing here. All right, coming up, a shining rally for the metals trade today. We'll tell you why Wall Street is digging in on the space, plus Tesla cruising higher today, surging double digits, and options traders are betting shares of the electric automaker have an even bigger spark ahead. We're breaking down the action. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Precious metals glistening today. Gold heading in its best day since January 4th, while silver saw its best day since mid-February. Meantime, the dollar pulled back from its highest level in nearly four months. Uh, Dan, you actually flagged the dollar move. Yeah, you know, Mel, it, it, it kind of is related to the um, the story that we we're just talking about with oil, too. You know, and if the dollar really is bottoming, it seemed to be a very one-way trade that it just seemed uh, universal that people thought it was going much lower. If the U.S. is going to lead this global reflation trade, I expect the dollar to actually get stronger. Look at what we've seen with rates, too. If you go back to 2013-14 when we had that tape, uh, taper tantrum, the dollar started rallying. This goes back to oil right here. What happened to oil? It got cut in half. So to me... I'm just saying it seems like a lot of people are on the wrong side of the dollar trade, and it seems like there is euphoric price action right now in the energy trade. I'd just be careful there. Guy? So on the 6th Avenue in New York City, I think, I haven't been in a while, but they have that debt clock. And i got to tell you something, mm -hmm. within a couple of weeks, it's going to strike $30 trillion. And <clears> if you can't get bearish on the back of that for the U.S. dollar, I don't know what is. Now, I'm the first to tell you I've been wrong I thought the dollar would continue its slide from the fall into the spring, and it's obviously bounced. But I just think this is a short-term bounce, maybe some sort of flight to quality after the Nasdaq sold off 12 percent. But I do think that dollar to the downside is going to continue, and it should theoretically be positive for metals. Again, I didn't think gold would be here either, but we did hold the low we made back in June. Newmont mining around 57 off that 70 high from last summer looks interesting to me. All right. Coming up, a $120 billion move. We will tell you what we spotted in the options market that could have Tesla investors flooring it. And later, fast money and fast food. The big news out of Chipotle that sent shares rallying today. We'll break it all down for you when fast money returns. Welcome back. A reminder, Kramer is off this week, but we've got a special report on the edge where we get the hottest takes on some of the biggest stories of the day. That is coming up at the top of the hour. You won't want to miss that. All right, let's turn our attention to Tesla putting the pedal to the metal today. The stock rallying nearly 20 percent to close out its best day since last February. Despite the monster move, Tesla is still down more than 20 percent in the last month. Let's bring in Mike Cohen. And Mike, you're spotting some pretty big bets on Tesla in the options market. What are you seeing? Yeah, so Tesla is always one of these names that sees a lot of options activity, but call volume did double today over yesterday and is nearly two times the 20-day average for call volume, trading over a million call contracts. The other thing that has very nearly double, doubled, volatility. This thing has definitely seen an uptick in realized volatility. And after the basically the swoon that we saw yesterday, it seems like some buyers are reemerging. The most active contracts today were the 700 strike calls that expire at the end of this week, but those were not the only ones that were trading, obviously. It seems like there are some dip buyers stepping into the mix and expecting Tesla to rebound over the days and weeks ahead. Uh, James, you've liked Tesla. Do you like Tesla in this environment in which people are abandoning tech? I think it's a great options play here. You know, it bounced off at $600 level for support. Uh, there's an opportunity to put on a long bias, but it's also an opportunity to earn a premium. You can sell an out-of-the-money put here, buy an out-of-the-money uh, call, and both would have profited dramatically today in that short-term bullishness that Mike pointed out. Um, it's majority of a short-term move, and there's modest momentum in me, but that high implied volatility, I mean, that's a big opportunity for collecting premium. It's modest upside. Um, there's more compelling opportunities there. That implied volatility you can get on both sides and collect premium. Uh, I will say there's an updated cyber truck unveiling in the qu coming quarter. Um, so we may see some action come back into this stock long term. Well, short term, long term uh, uh, opportunity there for 
buyers of investors of it. Um, but I agree with the analyst recommendations. I think they should sell their Bitcoin, Bitcoin holdings and buy back the stock here. <laughs> um, a guy, a lot of people are keeping an eye on the 695 level. That's the S&P inclusion level. Does that matter? Well, if you, if you mention it, it matters. I mean, the fact that people are looking at it absolutely means it matters. To me, I wouldn't have thought much about it. But when everybody starts talking about things, it sort of becomes like a magnet. Um, selling puts in, in this environment sort of scares me a little bit. I'm not suggesting you know, it doesn't work in some cases. It just sort of scares me here. But there's no reason to believe in this environment. You know, typically, I'd say up 20 percent in a day. That's the exhaustive move to the upside. I mean, what we're seeing now is continuations of moves. So mm-hmm. stands to reason we'll probably see another 10 to 15 percent move to the upside before things get sorted out in Tesla. Yeah. Dan, what would you say? You know, it's interesting, Mel. You mentioned there was a 20 percent move higher, obviously, today. If you look one month out, we are doing the options action hit right here. The options, mm-hmm. the at-the-money option, the straddle is um, implying a 20 percent move in either direction. So to James's point, it's a tough options play buying options. It's a dangerous options play if you think there's more downside. By selling a downside put, you better be prepared to buy it. And the way this stock has been moving around, you know, to me, last week at this time, I think the stock was 700. I thought it was going to 600. At this time, I think it probably could go back to 500. That was the breakout level. You mentioned that 695 level where it went into the S&P, the new all-time high days after they announced the inclusion of it, um, the breakout was 500. That, to me, looks like great support to the downside. All right. Thank you, Mike Coe. As always, catch the full show, Options Action Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, the Burrito Bowl has some new competition. The delicious details on what sent shares of Chipotle rallying today. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back. Chipotle rallying today. The company introducing quesadillas to the menu. What an innovation guy. (laughs) What do you think? Listen, I'm going to be the new spokesperson for Chipotle. I'm breaking some news here. We're not just burrito blowouts. We're quesadilla blowouts. Come get some. That is right there. I'm going. By the way, the stock should go higher here. It held the January low. All right. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim. Yeah, I think emerging markets fit right in with the super cycle with, I think, a weaker dollar and a a move into cyclicality. So EEM, which was breaking out two weeks ago, try it again. James. Final trade is QuantumScape. They're attempting to produce the industry's first solid-state lithium metal battery for use in electric vehicles. This is going to double, potentially, Tesla's roadster range. Dan. I remain bearish of the XLE of a seller. Guy. If you like BA, you gotta love SPR. Thanks for watching Fast on the Edge starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.